Hi there. As a reminder, Status Post Adulting is a podcast that is for entertainment only. We're part of the media, finance media. Our information is meant for entertainment value. For any type of financial decisions that you're trying to make, we encourage you to discuss with your financial team, which can include lawyers, financial advisors, tax advisors, and more. Thank you so much and enjoy this week's episode. Your hosts are here, Sammy and Michelle. By the end of this podcast, you'll know them well. Adulting, navigating the journey of life. Careers to relationships, pain and strife. Put down the rule book. Rethink the status quo. If there's another direction you want to go. Find purpose, passion and mastery in all that you do. With status post adulting hey status post adulting fam this is sammy and michelle and you're listening to the 31st episode of status post adulting where we are going to be talking about index funds but first let me check in with my co-host michelle how are you doing michelle aloha sammy aloha michelle and michelle is saying aloha because we have just returned from a vacation in hawaii Yes, Sammy and I and our friend Kirsten went to Kauai last week, and it was so much fun. It was really relaxing. We were able to do some fun hikes, eat some good food, meet some interesting people, and Sammy and I got burnt to a crisp. We have never been sunburned before, and to be honest, I didn't really think it was possible, but now I know it is possible, and it's painful, and I am so sorry to my body for putting it through this. I agree, Sammy. I am peeling everywhere. For now on, you will always see me head to toe covered in clothing when I go out in the sun because the sun is dangerous, people. I had no idea, but it will roast you if you give it enough time. Otherwise, though, we had a really lovely trip. And happy birthday to our friend Kirsten. May your Leo energy always shine. This week, Sammy and I really wanted to talk about index funds, specifically how to get started. A lot of the feedback we've been hearing of late has been okay, I hear you, I'm absorbing this financial advice, but I would love if you could just tell me what to do because I need a little bit more guidance when it comes to pulling the trigger. We cannot tell you what to do, but we will give you some advice as if we were speaking to our own friend, which, dear listener, you are. So true, Michelle. We had our previous episode where we talk about FOMO, YOLO investments, and individual stocks, and we talk about how those are not wise investments. but. Today, we want to give some clarity on investments that we actually do like, which are index funds. As a refresher, Sammy, I think a good first question to answer is, what is an index fund? Yeah, Michelle, I like to think of an index fund as a fund that includes multiple different companies within one fund. Generally, index funds are not actively managed, meaning they do not have someone regularly switching around the stocks. And because of that, they tend to have low fees and low expense ratios. Exactly, Sammy. And we can contrast that against a couple of things. One, an individual stock, which is if you choose to purchase stock in Amazon, for example, or a actively managed fund. Exactly, Michelle. Actively managed funds are funds where 
there are people whose job it is to go through the funds and sell different stocks, buy new stocks on a regular basis based on what they think will perform well. Because of that, actively managed funds oftentimes have higher fees and higher expense ratios. However, overall, the data shows that these actively managed funds do not tend to outperform regular degular index funds. Well said, Sammy. And if you want more of an in-depth look, definitely refer back to one of our first few episodes, Personal Finance Basics. Index funds started with John, or Jack Bogle, the investor and founder of Vanguard Group. And he is the first person to take all of the companies in the S&P 500 in the United States, the top 500 companies, and put them in one fund. And he introduced the Vanguard 500 fund and market that as an index fund for retail investors like you and me. Absolutely, Michelle. Vanguard was a brokerage fund that was created by John Bogle with the intention of providing people with low-cost, low-fee funds that cover a large portion of the market. Their goal was to simplify investing so that people can invest without having to pay tons of fees. Absolutely, Sammy. And as we've highlighted in other episodes, what we've seen over the past few decades is that these index funds tend to outperform even actively managed accounts. Without a doubt, Michelle. And after Vanguard was created, a lot of other companies joined in to start trying to make their own version of low-cost index funds, even if maybe that was not their original purpose when their companies were made. And Sammy, I think that's why there's so much confusion today and why we hear from so many people that say, hey, how do I get started? Because it would be really, really easy if there was one good fund that we could tell you to invest in. And there are certain groups that will hang their hat on a specific fund, but really there are so many different ones at this point. And we want to be able to give you the tools to evaluate the different options, but also make the best decision. I recently heard someone say that the best sunscreen is the sunscreen that you use. And I think when it comes to index funds, the best index fund is the one that you feel comfortable with and the one that you will actually invest in. It's better to start to make an investment than to be so paralyzed by the different choices out there. Exactly, Michelle. The truth is, a lot of these funds, when you look at them, perform very similarly. So it's much more important to make a choice and start investing. So let's say you're ready to start investing. You're ready to have some index fun. Exactly. You might wonder, where do I even start? You start with a brokerage account. Brokerage accounts are accounts where you can keep your money and then use that money to buy index funds, stocks, bonds, all of the above. Some important things to look for when you're looking at brokerage accounts is to make sure that the brokerage account does not have account minimums. You don't want to be paying fees if you don't have a certain amount in the account. And also that there are no trading fees. Both of those are really good points, Sammy. In the past few years, we've seen a race to the bottom in terms of trading fees. And so a lot of the popular brokerage accounts are no longer charging for things like trades. Exactly, Michelle. And just because it can be a bit confusing, to be clear, No trading fees does not mean that you may not encounter any fees along the investing process. Different accounts can have fees. Different types of funds might have minimums in order to buy into that type of fund. But this is just saying that the brokerage account itself is not going to charge you 
when you're purchasing whatever index fund, stock, bond, etc. Some examples of popular brokerage accounts include Vanguard, Fidelity, and Charles Schwab. I actually have one of each. You may already be using one of these. For example, I have my 401k in Vanguard and Fidelity simply because that's where my companies have set them up in the past. Exactly, Michelle. But before you automatically assume that the place where you have your 401k is where you want to do your other investing, definitely check out the account minimums and the trading fees to make sure that you won't encounter tons of fees. So once you've chosen a brokerage account and set up an account, which is much easier today than it was 10 years ago, what you want to do next is evaluate and choose a fund. Definitely, Michelle. And that can be the part which causes a lot of decision fatigue. There's tons of index funds out there, and it's kind of hard to tell the difference between them, to be honest. And a lot of that's because they are very similar. But some things to watch out for. When you're looking at an index fund, you're wanting to cover an index fund that covers the market broadly. For example, there's some index funds that are like tech index funds or index funds for oil or 5G or specific parts of the market. While those are broadly diversified over many stocks, they're not diversified over the market as a whole. Those ones may focus on one particular industry, so they do have more risk because if that industry completely tanks, then those stocks will also go down versus investing in the whole entire market. When you choose an index fund that, let's say, covers the top 500 companies or the top 500 stocks, those are constantly being evaluated to see which companies are currently the top and removing the companies that are going downhill. Because of that, over time, these stocks generally tend to go up. If you look over the long term, they certainly tend to go upwards. In the short term, the economy can tank, so because of that, they could go up and down and be more volatile in the short term. But over the long run, they generally increase. Exactly, Sammy. When people talk about index funds or investing in the market being less risky, they're typically talking about index funds that cover the top chunk of the market. And part of the reason it's quote unquote less risky is because it's self-correcting. As companies move in and out of the, say, S&P 500, the index fund will reflect that as well. And so, yes, the whole market can crash, but it's not as though if one specific company or one specific industry crashes, it's not going to necessarily take down the whole fund. That's a great point, Michelle. And when you look across the different brokerage accounts, you may often find that each one has their own broad-based index fund. And that's not a coincidence, Amy. As low-expense index funds have become more popular, everybody's trying to get their hand in the pot because they know that more and more people want to invest more money into these index funds. And so Vanguard may have been one of the first, but Fidelity saw it was getting popular, Schwab saw it was going to get popular. Everybody's trying to get in on that game. Exactly, Michelle. And what I like to do is find out what companies make up that index fund. And that's pretty easy to do. If you Google it, you can often go to websites like Morningstar where they will list the companies that make up that index fund. You can see the companies that are listed and you can see how those companies are weighted within the index fund. Sometimes different index funds might weight some of the top companies more or less than other index funds. It just gives you an idea of what the actual difference is between the funds. From there, I often like to use Google to actually compare the index fund and the performance. 
And oftentimes when I compare the performance over longer periods, like six months, one year or more, they are oftentimes very similar. This is also really helpful if your workplace has a brokerage account that you're automatically investing into through your 401k and you want to invest in a index fund through your work, but you don't know what actually makes up the funds in their index funds, you can just look them up and see what companies make up the index funds for the brokerage account that is part of your workplace. Sammy, that's a really good point because when you do compare a lot of these similar index funds, what you'll see is maybe a difference in how long they've existed. But obviously, if they're all covering the same part of the market, they're going to perform pretty similarly. And I want to highlight that because, again, part of the issue with investing for me at the beginning was the decision fatigue. There were all of these index funds, there were all of these different options, and it's really easy to get really, really into the weeds and never make a decision. Definitely okay to get into the weeds if that's what you like, but also know that once you've chosen this path, there's not going to be too much difference between each one, at least not that we've seen up until this point. That's right, Michelle. And another important thing to look at is the fees, specifically the expense ratio. This you can find online pretty easily. Usually it'll be on the brokerage company website. It'll say what the expense ratio is. Or if not, you can find it on other websites like Morningstar or even when you Google it, I think the Google index fund information still includes the expense ratios. And expense ratios are really important. They are the fees. That's literally it. It's a fancy term, Sammy, for the percent of fee you're going to pay once you sell that fund. Exactly, Michelle. When you're putting in small amounts of money and you're looking at the fees, you might think a 1% fee doesn't sound that large. But once your money starts growing and you continue investing more money into the fund, those fees can really add up. And like we mentioned before, a lot of times funds that have higher fees don't necessarily outperform funds with lower fees. That's the appeal of funds with lower fees. When I think of expense ratios, I think of expense ratios less than 0.1 to be fairly low. There are some stocks like Fidelity's zero expense ratio, zero fee fund that has literally no fees. It's true, Sammy. There's also a race to the bottom when it comes to expense ratio. Again, companies know that they can attract people into their brokerage firm by these low expense fees. And a lot of times the hope is that you'll start to do more of your money management within those accounts. At the time of this podcast, Fidelity literally has 0% fees for some of their index funds. Who knows, maybe next year they'll be paying people to start index funds. We can't say, but it's always good to compare because that information can change over time. Yes, Michelle. And that brings up a good point. They have some funds with zero fees. That doesn't mean all their funds are zero fees. So you do have to look at each individual index fund to know what the fee is. I know when I started investing into my 401k at work, I wasn't really paying attention to the fees. And... They recommended I invest into a target date fund, which includes both stocks and bonds and automatically adjusts the stocks and bonds based on your age to match what they think would be a normal risk tolerance for different age groups. More stocks when you're younger, more bonds when you're older. All these target date funds are based off a projected retirement year. So some are like the 2050 target date fund, 2060 target date fund, etc. Seems very rational. However, the target date funds that were at my workplace 
had high expense ratios. I believe somewhere like 1.2, 1.3%. And once I learned about index funds and expense ratios, I took my money out of those funds because I knew I would, I would lose a lot of money when I sold those funds, especially since I started investing so early. There are other companies like Vanguard who has target date funds that do not have high expense ratios, so don't assume that just because it's a target date fund it has a high expense ratio. But in general, funds that require any kind of management will have higher expense ratios than funds that require less managing. Once you decide where you want to put your money, the final step is move your money into your brokerage account, move your money into the fund. Not always a one, two, three click process, unfortunately, but a lot of times you can do that within a couple of days and you're ready to get going. Another quick thing to note when you're purchasing index funds is sometimes the mutual fund version of the index fund will have a minimum amount that they require to start investing. Or another quick note, I don't want to go into a ton of detail about it, but it's something you're probably going to see when you start to invest is there's something called ETFs or exchange traded funds. And these are slightly different than mutual funds. Both of them are index funds containing multiple different companies and can often contain the top 500, 1000, etc. companies. However, ETFs are traded right at the moment that you purchase the stock versus mutual funds which are traded at the end of the day. This is not really a big deal if you're investing for the long term, but sometimes mutual funds have a minimum amount that they require you to invest to become part of that fund versus ETFs usually don't have those minimums. So if you're just looking to invest $50, sometimes investing in ETFs is more simple and more easy to get started with. I honestly have most of my investments in ETFs. For the takeaways this week, Sammy and I really wanted to put out an episode where we could simplify the process of getting started with index funds, going as basic as possible. This includes choosing a brokerage firm, checking out to make sure there's no minimums or fees per trade, evaluating and choosing a fund, taking a look at the expense ratio, and putting money into it. It's always easy to simplify these things on a podcast, and we can never anticipate every question you're going to run into. I recently was moving some of my money around and truly the best thing you can do, Google the information. If you see terminology you don't know, if you're running into different problems, you'd be surprised at how often this happens to people. And there's always people on the internet, on Reddit, on blogs that are available and have already addressed the specific questions that you have. Exactly, Michelle. Once you get started, it's not as complicated as it seems. And the most important thing is just being really consistent about it. And the best thing about index funds is you put your money in, you're investing for the long term, you set it and forget it, and then when you check your account, you're like, whoa, money grows. It's really magical. So true, Sammy. Throw back to the magic of compound interest. Definitely check out that episode if you want your mind blown. And if you want more information on us, be sure to check us out on Instagram at statuspostadulting. Or if you have any questions, feel free to send us an email at statuspostadulting at gmail.com. Exactly, Sammy. And as always, we'll share our show notes in the podcast platform and on our website, statuspostadulting.com. This is definitely one where we're going to have a lot of information in our show notes for references that we've used before and for different tools that we'll, we think will be helpful. 
I definitely encourage you to check that out. Hopefully it'll make this educational process that much easier. And most importantly, be sure to join us next time as we put down the rule book and rethink the status quo.